This is Culture Shift here on 1019 WDET. It is the first day of December. It is a Tuesday. The snow has arrived right on time. I'm Ryan Patrick Cooper. Thanks for hanging out with me on this Giving Tuesday. Happy to be here. Going to keep you warm through the radio. And we're going to start by entering a series that we've been doing here on the show. It's the Because We Care series. It's kind of one of those elements of culture shift that's about the lives that we live, the lifestyles that we have, and the things that we have to go through on top of the arts, culture, and music that we celebrate here. And more people than ever are becoming caregivers for elderly parents or other loved ones. But balancing life, work, and caregiving can be a huge difficulty. That's why we started Because We Care. It's explored the lives and issues affecting caregivers in Metro Detroit over the next few months. It's supported by Tight Knit, an initiative of the Ralph C. Wilson, Wilson Jr. Foundation. Now, one of the state's largest caregiving organizations, Hospice of Michigan, has, like many groups, had its work impacted by the pandemic. Allison Wagner is a volunteer coordinator for Hospice of Michigan, and Kelly Root is a hospice volunteer and also the editor of Crane's Detroit Business. Culture Shift's Amanda LeClaire spoke with them about how COVID-19 has altered hospice care and why volunteers are more important than ever. We've all learned a lot, right? Um, One of the interesting things that our organization started pre-pandemic was uh, we were already engaged in doing some market research, some surveys and research on caregivers in the state of Michigan we have really learned some really helpful and interesting things as a result. One of the things that we've learned that I think might be obvious to a lot of us thinking about the pandemic, but was really helpful to know through this research is that caregivers are really looking to provide care to their loved one in their home right now. Um, They're not, as likely to want to go to the ER. They really would love to have some support at their home to be able to care for their loved one there, whether that's hospice or palliative care. So at Hospice in Michigan, we're able to provide that care um, in the home and we have the right number of, you know, right amount of PPE uh, available to us, which we're thankful for. So we can provide those services in the home. One of the things we're working on right now is integrating our volunteers into this pandemic world that we're in. And and what does volunteerism look like in that pandemic? So Kelly can really speak to how our volunteers pre-pandemic are really such an integral part of the hospice team and really supporting the caregivers and bringing both the caregivers and the patient joy and helping to, um, you know, whether it's simple things like um, reading to someone or, you know, playing cards with someone. Uh, We also have pet volunteers, (laughs) which is just you know, all of these things just bring so much joy into days that are filled with a lot of different tasks in supporting a patient at home. 
Kelly, I want to bring the volunteer work into this. And, and Allison, as, as you said, these are simple things, playing cards, reading to someone, having coffee with them. Uh, but it's incredibly meaningful with hospice work. But especially this year, uh, it feels like whatever can be done to help that connection continue is important. Uh, now, Kelly, why did you decide to become a hospice volunteer? It's been tremendously rewarding for me. Um, I, I adopted my little dog back in 2015, and um, he's he's a little chihuahua. He's very laid back. He's very quiet. He doesn't nip or bark. He's just a real laid back little guy. And the woman that I adopted him from, the friend that ran a rescue um, where I adopted him, posted on Facebook a link to um, a Hospice of Michigan program for pet volunteers. And uh, the program did not require your pet to be officially certified. The only qualification was that, you know, the pet be laid back and able to sit with a patient and uh, just, you know, provide comfort. And I thought, well, Guppy could do that. Um, he does that with me all the time. He's just super laid back and he likes people. So I got involved and I went through the training that hospice provided, which was excellent. They, you know, talked about how to relate to hospice patients and what to do um, in the event, uh, you know, of a death and how to, it was just a really good preparation so that they, they don't just send you out to sit next to someone without the preparation of a couple days training. And um, this was back in uh, spring of 2018. And I was assigned to um, a wonderful, wonderful woman who was in a group home, a small residential facility in Clinton Township. And um, so it was close to my home. And I started bringing Guppy to visit her um, just about every weekend. And she loved to touch and pet and cuddle him. He would sit on her bed and she would just stroke him and pet him. And, you know, I, I thought that this program was going to be more about the patient relating to the animal, but it really, over the course of two years that I visited her, it was clear to me that the touch and the connection to the animal were really important, but reaching out to the, the human connection and having conversations with me was, um, you know, all of it. We, we really, you know, formed a bond. I mean, she, she was very physically compromised. She was bedridden 24 seven, um, visually impaired. So she couldn't even really see me or Guppy, but she could feel him and touch him. And um, we developed a, an amazing relationship during those visits. And the pandemic was hugely unfortunate and disruptive for us. Um, because I was visiting her, you know, as I said, just about every week. And um, she had family visiting her as well. She's a very outgoing, spirited lady. She's very bright, very conversational. Um, but when the pandemic started, um, I couldn't see her in person. And uh, that was really, really tough. Um, and I and I called her and the folks that ran her home, you know, immediately always put me on the line and they would bring the phone to her in her room. She couldn't see me, so she couldn't do FaceTime or, uh, you know, an iPad thing. It was j literally just a phone call. Um, but for the duration of the pandemic, I was calling her weekly and, and talking to her. And she was, you know, quite lonely and very, very affected by the lack of 
of the, the, the hospice visitors she had. Besides me, she had a woman coming in from hospice who was painting her nails. And, um, you know, she had religious, she, I think she had a priest coming in to, to visit with her uh, on occasion. So she had a number of non-medical volunteers that were coming in to, you know, to, to pass the time with her, which was huge because she just needed to talk and, and you know, and, and laugh and share stories. And when the pandemic hit, that type of uh, comfort was taken away. She didn't get it. She got her medical visits, but she missed time with Guppy. She didn't get to have her manicures. You know, it's the it's the littler things that I think played a big role in quality of life for her. And so I did talk to her every week, and you know, she she tried to stay upbeat and. Um, but it was it was very it was very tough. And at one point at the end of a phone call, I'll never forget this. It was about halfway through the pandemic, and during the end of one of our phone calls, she said, "You know, don't don't forget about me." That's how she signed off the phone call. And I said, "I'll never forget about you." And um, you know, she she really hung on, and and we we maintained that contact as best we could. Um, but you know, I she she did pass away recently, and it's it's unfortunate that I never really got a chance to reconnect with her physically in the way that I had prior to the pandemic. That's a huge issue and conversation nationally since the pandemic began. Uh, those who have not been able to be with their loved ones or their families as they pass away. Uh, you know, I think overall it will be a good thing to have this conversation about how people die here in the United States and the quality of life they have leading up to that death, uh, because we just do not talk much in the society about that. And, and i like both of you to weigh in on this. How can we help a person going through this process, especially a loved one? I can jump in to start, Amanda, and then Kelly, you know, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this too. Honestly, I think the first thing that people should know about the dying process is that you don't have to do it alone and that there are people that are available to help you. You know, um, in 1982, Congress um, put in a provision to create the Medicare benefit. And I like that word benefit because hospice is a benefit to caregivers and to families when you're struggling at the end of your loved one's life. And, you know, the thing that I hear the most from families, and I think many people in hospice would probably say this, is following the death of their loved one one of the most frequent comments we get is, I wish I would have called you sooner. And it's because there's so much that goes into the dying process, you know, weeks or even months um, leading up to that individual's death. And what's a beautiful part of hospice is that we have this interdisciplinary team. So Kelly just shared with you how she was a part of that team providing care for that patient, that lovely woman in a facility. And in addition to Kelly, there were other volunteers. And in addition to the volunteers, there was a social worker, a nurse, a spiritual care advisor, the physician. We have grief support managers, hospice aides, um, in some cases, complementary therapies, you know, music therapy, massage therapy. 
So we have this whole team that's really surrounding not just the patient, but the caregivers too. And the other beautiful thing about hospice is that you don't have to know, like, is this time really the right time? Because that's a hard thing to figure out. All you really have to do is call us and there will be a person that you can talk to and they will help to steer you on the right path. Whether it's, yes, let's explore this, maybe hospice is the right choice for you um, with Hospice of Michigan, or maybe it's not. Maybe your family isn't quite ready for hospice yet. And at Hospice of Michigan, we have a palliative care program, which means that we can help you with, you know, coordinating your community resources. We can talk through concerns that you have, but you're not necessarily on, you know, you're not on hospice yet. That's a very good point. Um, what I've learned since volunteering is that every hospice patient and case is different. You know, my, my mother passed away 20 years ago at the too young age of 52 from breast cancer. And she was in hospice for only a week uh, in the hospital. And I, I think a lot of people have this idea that hospice always means, you know, dying at home and there's this, you know, this, this, this plan. And sometimes there's not, there's, sometimes there's not a, a plan. Sometimes hospice, you know, is, is, a, is a last minute sort of thing the way it was for my mom. And yet with the patient that I volunteered with, she was in hospice for more than two years. And when I started my volunteer journey with her in the spring of 2018, I had no idea that it was going to, you know, stretch into this relationship that lasted, you know, far longer than you would expect someone to be in hospice. But yet she benefited immensely from that care and the the various people that she built relationships with from hospice, uh, you know, both medical and, um, you know, social workers and, and, and that sort of thing. So every case is, is different. And, you know, I, I, I joined the, the program two years ago thinking maybe I would, you know, bring my dog into uh, a situation where, um, you know, it was a, a home with, multiple people in it. I mean, you just really don't know when you start as a volunteer, how you're going to end up, you know, how you're going to end up uh, serving and, and who you're going to meet and how it's going to go. And and I, I just feel immensely lucky that I was matched with someone to have um, a relationship the way we did. But I also know that if I do it again, and I will be doing it again, uh, that it might not be such a long situation. You know, it, it's a different it's different for everybody. And sometimes it's at home and sometimes it's in a care home or a hospital setting, or there's just lots of different, and I'm sure Allison can, can speak to that. There's lots of different ways that hospice is helping. And I would just add to that, you know, one of the things that we say in hospice care at Hospice of Michigan is that we're all about meeting that patient where they are. So, you know, it is our mission to serve people who need and seek our care, regardless of, you know, their diagnosis, their ability to pay, their age, anything. You know, you call us and we'll be there to help you. And with that, Kelly's right. You know, um, dying is as unique of an experience, a human experience as birth. 
And many professionals throughout the study of hospice have compared the two things. We are all unique in the experiences that we have while we're here on this earth. And the hospice professionals that we have at Hospice of Michigan, you know, they've done a lot of study and they're educated professionals and they're able to meet our patients where they are to really adapt to that unique experience for that patient, for that family. One of the striking things about the patient that I was with for so long was that she wanted to revisit her life in so many ways. And by that, I mean, sharing memories was hugely important to her. And I sat with her on many of these afternoons and listened to her retell her life. And, you know, she had memory issues and, you know, she, she often returned to the same stories. I mean, I could tell you now by, by heart some of the most important things in her life because she, they, she went over them again and again and again. She wanted to talk about her wedding and how she met her late husband and what they went through to get married at a Catholic church because she wasn't married, she wasn't Catholic and she needed to, I mean, it was a real treat for me to sit and listen to someone at the end of her life talk about childhood memories, you know, memories of her own children and her grandchildren and things that were important to her. And it's it's immensely revealing and, and it was helpful to me in our busy, crazy, always running 500 miles an hour world to sit for a little time each week and listen to someone talk about what was important to them in their 80 years. As a volunteer, that was rewarding to me. I, you know, she wanted to talk, I wanted to listen. I think that it's made me slow down a little um, it's made me realize that the small stuff that we stress over isn't always the most important thing. Uh, my own husband uh, passed away seven years ago suddenly, which was obviously really hard. Since that time, I've thought about how I want to spend my time and what's important in my life and the years that I have here left. You know, connecting with this, this patient really it really forces you to think about what's important. I just think that connecting and listening to someone who is completely at the mercy of other people's kindness and care, I mean, it made, makes me feel lucky that every day I can go out into the world and I can play tennis and I can meet friends and I'm, I can do, I can live my life. You know, this is someone whose life was shrunk down to a very small room and a, and a small bed. She could not turn over without help. And yet her mind was very rich and very, you know, full of, uh, of memory and, and things to share and converse, you know, conversation was literally the only thing she had left. And um, I was really grateful to be able to play a part in helping her get those memories out and she talked about her death and she talked about what she wanted at her funeral and she she wasn't afraid she knew you know she kind of knew where what was going on and, and what was happening to her and i think talking about it made it a little easier and i hope that i was able to play a small part in that
That was Allison Wagner, a volunteer coordinator for Hospice of Michigan, and Kelly Root, a hospice volunteer, also the editor of Cranes Detroit. They spoke with WDET's Amanda LeClaire for our series called Because We Care. It's supported by Tight Knit, an initiative of the Ralph C. Wilson Jr. Foundation. You can find more info and more stories about caregiving for loved ones at tightknit.org. You're listening to Culture Shift.